This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. Ukraine's gas war with Russia is reaching a crescendo. Last December, a Stockholm arbitration court awarded Naftogas, the Ukrainian national gas company, $2.6 billion, although it hasn't been able to recover it. At the end of this year, the North Stream 2 pipeline is due to come online, which will allow Russia to completely cut out Ukraine in its transit gas business to Europe. Naftogas is assuming that the transit will drop to zero. At home, the company has another set of battles to fight. Back in profit is now the single largest taxpayer to the government. However, its oil arm has a billion-dollar tax bill that it can't pay. And a nasty fight is broken out between the Prime Minister and the CEO of Naftogas. Until all these issues are resolved, the company is effectively in uninvestable. However, it's made massive progress. I sat down with uh, Yuri Vitrienko to talk about all these issues and what's in store for the company. So, Yuri, nice to meet. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk. Um, maybe we can dive in straight away with what is the big issue for Ukraine and gas, and that is the outstanding $2.6 billion that Gazprom owes but is refusing to pay. Could you bring me up to speed? I think I saw um, a news item today saying that um, Naftogaz was trying to see some Gazprom assets in, in Luxembourg, but... Is that right? They owe you two point six, and they haven't been, and you haven't been able to recover it from the Stockholm decision in December last year. Yes, to be precise, it's uh, two billion five sixty million uh, plus interest, and uh, with the accrued interest now it exceeds uh, two point eight billion dollars, and uh, they are not paying. So that's why we're enforcing uh, the tribunal's award uh, all over the world, uh, including uh, in such jurisdiction as Luxembourg, as you mentioned. And on what grounds are they not paying? I mean, the whole point of the arbitration courts is that they're supposed to make a final decision. And didn't you go into the agreement st- uh, stipulating that Stockholm was the arbitration and that both sides would agree by uh, to any any um, resolution that Stockholm would come up with? Yeah, exactly. It's stipulated uh, in our contract uh, that uh, uh, the place for all the dispute resolutions is Stockholm. And uh, by the way, it uh, was Gazprom who first went uh, to the arbitration. Um, so we expected that after uh, receiving all the final uh, decisions, the final awards, Gazprom will just comply with them. Uh, but unfortunately, it did not happen. Um, they are, uh, on one hand, they are appealing uh, or trying basically to uh, cancel the decision uh, in the um, Svea Court of Appeal in Sweden. Uh, challenging the uh, basically all the awards, uh, both final awards in the supply case and the transit case, but even the separate award in the supply case that decided uh, on the take of pay provision, for example. Um, uh, in addition to it, uh, they uh, also started a new arbitration uh, where they are trying to reverse the results of the previous arbitration. I know it may sound really crazy, but unfortunately, that's that's the way it is. So uh, without any proper explanation why they're not paying, they're not paying, we're enforcing the award. And uh, in parallel, uh, we are fighting uh, in the Court of Appeal, where we are getting prepared to fight in the new arbitration as well. 
How, how does that work? I mean, are they obliged to pay even if they're appealing, or doesn't that suspend the... I mean, can't they tie this up in the courts uh, and not have to pay while the appeal's going on? Uh, they are obliged to pay um, uh, as soon as the final award is out, because it's due immediately. Uh, they tried to suspend uh, the uh, award uh, in the Svea Court of Appeal. Uh, they failed. So uh, now this enforcement is not state, meaning that uh, we can enforce. Um, but again, even then, they're not paying uh, as well. And have you managed to recover anything? I mean, you've been trying to lay your hands on Gazprom assets um, outside of Russia, I mean, in European Union, in effect, where you can enforce that and bailiffs can take them over. But um, so far, you haven't had any luck. Is that right? Uh, yes and no. So on one hand, we were able to freeze uh, their assets uh, uh, in the UK and in the Netherlands. Um, we were also successful, again, in some kind of procedural steps in such jurisdictions as the US uh, and uh, Luxembourg. Uh, but in terms of real enforcement or getting basically cash, uh, um, uh, unfortunately, it hasn't happened yet. Not yet. <laughs> and your relationships with Gazprom, I mean, of course, Gazprom was, was, uses Ukraine as, as a major transit route um, in order to supply its European customers. And at the same time, Ukraine has been importing, well, in the old days, it was like 45 uh, BCM, I think, a year. Although at the moment, you haven't had any Russian gas for Ukraine's own domestic use for more than a thousand days. Is that right? Um, the line was bad at the moment, but I, I hope I, I got your question right. So, yes, uh, we are an important transit route. At the same time, we used to be their biggest customer. Um, and now we're not buying uh, from them at all. Uh, so um, last supplies uh, uh, stopped probably in 2016. And since then, we haven't been buying gas uh, from them. Uh, from Gazprom. So we're buying all the gas uh, that we need uh, uh, from Europe, um, not from Gazprom. Isn't that more expensive in so much as you've reversed um, the pipes, I think, from Slovakia and Poland in particular, um, and are now receiving gas from them? But isn't that gas more expensive than the gas you would buy from Russia if you were to buy it directly? Uh, if uh, uh, or should uh, Gazprom and Russia uh, not abuse the dominant market position in this market, and should they supply gas to Ukraine at a fair price, uh, meaning like, again, uh, a price that you would see in a competitive market, and then the price from Russia would be, of course, lower than the price from Europe uh, for a simple fact that uh, it should not be transported to Europe and then back to Ukraine. So you just save on, on uh, gas transmission costs. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, if you look at our contract, uh, before we were successful in the arbitration to revise the price, the price under this contract was much higher than the price uh, we were getting from Europe. Uh, that's why, uh, again, in the arbitration, we claimed uh, the price revision, and we got it. Uh, so the price was revised by the tribunal uh, to the European level, basically uh, MCG uh, hub level. Um, and we are supposed to, we're entitled uh, to get supplies from Russia at such a price. Uh, so meaning that we would save transmission costs from Europe, because instead of buying, for example, gas in Germany and transporting it to Ukraine, we would get uh, the gas at the same price, but on the Ukrainian border. Um, 
But uh, unfortunately, Gazprom is not uh, fulfilling or is not honoring their contractual obligations after considering this revision by the tribunal, and they're not supplying gas to Ukraine. So they were supposed to resume uh, supplies in March uh, 2018. Uh, we even prepaid basically for these supplies, but they failed to supply. And now in the new arbitration, we will be claiming damages uh, because of this failure to supply gas to Ukraine. But you still have the transit business. I mean, at the moment, Gazprom is still sending a lot of gas through Ukraine, through the Druzhba pipeline to, to Europe. Is that not the case? Uh, yes, they're sending, uh, I mean, less than before, but still uh, a considerable uh, volume of gas uh, through the Ukrainian gas transmission system, through Uryangoy Pomara Ushgorod pipeline. So, I mean, that brings us on to Nord Stream 2. Um, that the second yes. part of Nord Stream 2 is due to come online, well, it was due to come online at the end of this year. Um, however, two developments have been the passage of the third uh, energy packet in Europe, and mm. secondly, that Denmark has been refusing to give uh, permission to, to Russia to build it through their part of the water, through the Baltic Sea. Um, mm. And Gazprom today admitted that there might be delays um, with the pipeline coming online. But it seems to me, given that there's already 800 kilometers of 1,200 kilometers built, that this pipeline is looking fairly inevitable. I mean, particularly as the Germans have been building their part of the pipeline. They're totally on board with, with building this pipeline. I mean, won't that kill if this pipeline is completed? Um, well, A, will it be delayed? And B, if it is completed, won't that kill the Ukrainian transit business completely? Uh, it may be, be, uh, be delayed, uh, but it's not uh, guaranteed, uh, because even if you read what Gazprom says, they say that uh, it now it depends uh, on, uh, on the Danish uh, authorities, basically. So they may delay it, uh, but uh, uh, maybe it, it won't be delayed. So there's some uncertainty around it. Uh, but even if it's delayed, um, uh, we, the way we look at it is that uh, Gazprom um, uh, can uh, uh, be okay without any transit through Ukraine as soon as from the 1st of January 2020, uh, if they expect Nord Stream 2 um, to be uh, commenced uh, either uh, from the 1st of January 2020 or with some delays. Uh, and I will explain what I mean, uh, because... Uh, uh, we see now that they are injecting more gas in their European storages than usual. Uh, we also see that um, LNG supplies from Yamal that were supposed to go to Asia now go to Europe. And then if we look at their minimum contractual obligations or minimum contract quantities, uh, then we see that uh, they can cut uh, supplies to Europe uh, to kind of their contractual minimum uh, and be okay without uh, Ukrainian transit route uh, just by uh, using their storages in Europe and maybe again uh, buying some volumes uh, from Yamal and um, swapping or delivering basically to their customers. So they may be short, uh, uh, I know, five, uh, six, nine, ten BCM, something like that. So something that uh, it's not critical for them. Uh, we also can see that um, it, it makes a shortage of gas uh, in Europe uh, will inevitably uh, lead to some price increase uh, uh, in, Euro in the European market. Uh, and Russians uh, may and will use it uh, 
um, to support their claims that uh, a Nord Stream 2 should be built and commenced uh, as soon as possible. So it puts some pressure on the European politicians. And uh, basically, in such a way, our base, uh, base scenario is that there will be no transit uh, through Ukraine from the 1st of January 2020. So if that happens, though, I mean, doesn't that cause a problem for Ukraine? I mean, the, 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 the simplest way of looking at it is that Ukraine will lose some $3 billion a year of transit fees, and the economy and the state finances are not in a shape where it can really afford to lose $3 billion of income a year. Is that not the case? Exactly. So uh, just to, for example, compare it with our GDP, uh, $3 billion is roughly 3% of our GDP. Uh, but if you consider some multiplier effect, meaning that uh, when we get this money, we spend it on, uh, for example, paying salaries to our employees and they buy some goods produced in Ukraine. Uh, so with this multiplier effect, uh, it's basically 4% of the GDP. And our GDP growth is expected to be for the next year 2.9, for example, by the IMF. So if you uh, subtract 4% from 2.9%, you will get minus 1.1%, meaning that uh, we will have economic decline or recession again next year uh, if we get no transit uh, revenues. On top of this kind of very uh, dire financial consequences, uh, we may have uh, a security of supply situation in Ukraine this winter. Uh, because, uh, uh, first of all, again, the gas that goes uh, through Ukraine and that enters Ukraine from Russia used in, for example, northern areas in Ukraine and then swapped basically with Ukrainian gas uh, that we produce in Ukraine or we store in our underground storage uh, next to the western border. So if we get no gas from Russia, it means that we have to reverse the whole gas transmission system so that uh, the gas uh, enters Ukraine from the western border, no gas uh, enters from the eastern border, and then we have to supply all the customers in Ukraine with this gas. Uh, we uh, we tried to do it in 2009 when Russians interrupted, but it was like a crisis scenario, and we were able to uh, maintain the system in this reverse flow uh, in the reverse flow kind of mode for a couple of weeks. Uh, but then some of our compressor stations uh, were on the brink of collapse. So uh, we modernized some of these compressor stations, but in general, it would put the whole system to like a, uh, like this kind of crisis scenario or. Uh, a lot of stress basically will be there. And um, also we need to understand if um, all the gas that we are entitled to get from the West will be delivered to Ukraine. That, for example, gas transmission uh, operators in Hungary, Poland or Slovakia, they won't interrupt their supplies or supply of gas from their countries. And in, in such a way, Ukraine will be left without any imported gas. So it's also an, an untested um, uh, scenario. And we tried, for example, to discuss it with the European Commission that we need kind of a, a, a regional effort to model uh, the flows uh, and to see what happens if there is no Russian gas coming through Ukraine. Uh, we agreed that we would do it later this uh, year, but we haven't done it yet. And that's disturbing. So it seems like it could be a big crisis. If Nord Stream 2 is delayed um, beyond January 2020, your contract, the existing contract that Timoshenko signed uh, 10 years ago, is about to expire at the end of this year. Um, if you finish the year and the Nord Stream pipeline is not completed, 
Doesn't that mean that Gazprom has to sign some sort of new contracts with you to cover 2020 or until such time as Nord Stream 2 is functional? They have to send some gas through Ukraine in order to service their, their customers in Europe. No, as I explained, they can cover their minimum contract quantities or their contractual obligations, basically, uh, without uh, Ukrainian route. So uh, uh, for you to understand, their contracts usually, or basically all of them, uh, include uh, two uh, uh, like specified quantities or volumes, basically, the, like a minimum volume that they have to supply, and then uh, some maximum volume that they're entitled to supply, uh, but uh, if, for example, they have any kind of shortage of gas or whatever, it's up to them to supply this gas or not. So to cover their minimum contract uh, obligations, uh, uh, even without Nord Stream 2, they're short by, let's say, 10 billion cubic meters. Uh, uh, and uh, But as, as I mentioned, uh, for this, for example, upcoming winter, they, they can cover the shortage by just storing more in Europe uh, this summer or to use Yamal LNG to swap these volumes for their customers. So to cut a long story short, they can basically, uh, uh, even if there, there is no contract and if there is no Nord Stream 2, uh, they can still uh, um, survive or be okay without uh, Ukrainian route, without Ukrainian transit. So they don't need to sign any kind of short-term agreement. And this presumably is why that... Companies like Novatech are, are pushing the development of LNG so fast because then it gives them a more flexible option for 2021 and, and, and further out if they can get through this year. Um, for Novatech, probably just like a purely financial consideration because there is uh, an expert monopoly for pipeline experts uh, that Gazprom enjoys from their government and the Novatech and other independent producers, they basically just can, cannot sell their gas uh, uh, at the European market price. That's why they're so keen to develop um, um, LNG projects and to use LNG basically for uh, transmission. But they're also lobbying inside Russia to uh, cancel this uh, export monopoly of uh, Gazprom because, uh, again, it's against the interest of Russian private producers. And by the way, it's against the interest of European consumers because European consumers would be much better off if uh, independent producers in Russia, there are some German companies producing gas in Russia, international companies producing gas in Russia, can export this gas to Europe, to their home market. Uh, they would also be better off if uh, Russia allows uh, uh, transit of Central Asian gas through Russia, and then we would allow it, of course, uh, through Ukraine, and much more gas will get to the European market, meaning lower prices. Um, before we leave this topic entirely and um, talk about the company itself, yeah. um, Ukraine actually produces 20 BCM of gas itself. And as far as yep. I know, there, there's two big basins in the western and the north of the country. Um, <clears throat> what are the prospects of Ukraine actually developing more gas production and becoming energy independent? I mean, you, you consume something on the order of 30, 40 BCM uh, a year, don't you, as a country? Uh, we consume slightly less, so we consume uh, about uh, 30, 35 uh, billion cubic meters of gas, um, uh, sometimes even less, so it depends on the winter. Um, and But again, answering your question, on one hand, uh, it's entirely realistic to expect that the Ukraine can become uh, self-sufficient in terms of uh, gas consumption um, or even start exporting gas uh, uh, sooner rather than later. 
because we have a huge potential to increase production. Um, at some point, we were producing like 70 BCM, so more than uh, uh, three times uh, more than uh, we um, produce now. Uh, to some extent, it's similar to the situation in the U.S., when you have some uh, well-explored basins, you just need new technology uh, to get gas that previously uh, was deemed uh, um, unrecoverable. Um, at the same time, we're very uh, inefficient in terms of our consumption, so there's a huge potential just to consume less. Uh, should we be at the level of energy efficiency, for example, of Poland, our neighbor, uh, we would not need any gas imports at all. Uh, but it's a hypothetical kind of uh, situation uh, that we are um, fully self-sufficient. In reality, uh, we see some disturbing trends that uh, local production uh, is stagnating, it's not growing, um, and uh, uh, energy efficiency is improved only when there are some price uh, shocks. Um, and if you dig uh, or try to look at the roots of these problems, uh, then it's a much more complicated story because, uh, for example, to develop production, you need to uh, have like a proper investment climate, including the rule of law. Uh, you need enough gas to be transformed into a modern national company that would be like a platform for international uh, oil companies to come to Ukraine and produce more uh, gas and oil. Uh, because currently, oil and gas business, it's less of a resource uh, business. It's more like a technology business. So you really need... Uh, new technologies, uh, and people who are capable of um, uh, utilizing these technologies. Um, with energy efficiency, you also need a lot of capital and a lot of know-hows um, how to do it. So, um, again, even with all this potential, unfortunately, uh, currently Ukraine uh, is dependent on uh, imported gas. And for the next uh, two, three years, the situation won't change. Didn't, didn't, uh, weren't there some more um, auctions of licenses through the ProZoro system recently for independent oil and gas um, production? So this process is beginning. I mean, the, the government is attempting to attract some investment into I increasing production. Uh, yes. Uh, so there are some positive um, again, developments. Unfortunately, it's kind of too little too late. Uh, so uh, first of all, um, if you follow, there was some uh, huge gap in terms of like uh, um, uh, no licenses to the market for a couple of years. Uh, and then uh, we have these auctions now, uh, but uh, not all the lots uh, were bought basically during these auctions. Uh, and if you look at uh, even participants in these uh, auctions, uh, they're usual suspects basically. Naftagas subsidiary, Ukrgas Vodabuvanya, and some uh, Ukrainian companies uh, linked to Ukrainian oligarchs. So you can't see uh, any international majors, you can't see any Western companies with proper technologies and proper access to capital. Uh, so that's why basically even not all the uh, lots uh, um, were uh, bought um, uh, or had some kind of demand uh, uh, at these auctions. Switching tack now, um, the yep. price of gas in Europe has fallen, and uh, Prime Minister Goitzman said the other day that he's insisting that the, uh, the prices for gas in Ukraine, domestic prices, be lowered. And, of course, they were hiked just at the IMF's insistence, and it's been extremely unpopular. And the President-elect Zelensky, um, he hasn't gone as far as saying that 
um, he's ordering the prices down, but he has asked um, that I think you get into negotiations with the IMF about reducing the prices. Do you, do you think the price of uh, domestic gas in Ukraine is overpriced now, and will it be reduced? Uh, here we have to differentiate uh, the gas price, uh, or price of gas as a commodity, and, uh, for example, distribution tariffs, uh, transmission tariffs, uh, a price that uh, a final customer uh, uh, is paying or consumer uh, is paying. Um, in terms of uh, gas price as a commodity, uh, currently in Ukraine, we have more or less uh, efficient or liquid wholesale market. Um, in terms of the retail market, uh, despite all the promises, it hasn't been liberalized uh, yet. And we have this uh, never-ending saga uh, between the government and, and Naftagaz about uh, the market liberalization. But currently, given the decline in prices in Europe, um, uh, the price, uh, the wholesale price for gas to be supplied to retail customers is at level. But the problem is that in Europe, for example, if you look at retail prices, if you compare them to wholesale prices, you will see that retail prices for final consumers are two or three times higher than wholesale prices. That's why uh, in Ukraine, um, uh, if you look at it from this perspective, you understand that the, the prices are still artificially low. Um, uh, there is definitely a problem with the retail margin. So should the market be liberalized, uh, market players uh, would uh, uh, charge higher retail margins for obvious reasons. That's what happens everywhere in Europe. Uh, also, distribution tariffs in Ukraine compared to distribution tariffs uh, in Europe are very low. So there is uh, also a, a logical question if uh, these tariffs are artificially low. But uh, if you start looking at this question or solving this problem, then you will see that the whole distribution sector is dominated by one oligarch, uh, Mr. Firtesh. And uh, it will be very unpopular in general to increase uh, distribution tariffs, especially given that uh, uh, this increase basically will mean that Kirtash will get more money. So uh, that's why, again, the government is trying just to silence this problem, not just to talk about distribution tariffs in general. Um, it's very funny that in Ukraine, uh, people uh, on the street will know the wholesale uh, gas price. Uh, whereas in Europe, again, if you ask ordinary Europeans about the wholesale gas prices, they won't have a clue. Uh, but they will know their retail prices. In Ukraine, people sometimes don't know their retail prices, but they know the wholesale price that is not even directly relevant for them. Because it's just a kind of political kind of debate. Uh, it's not a real thing. So to cut a long story short, it, unfortunately, it's much more complicated than, than that. Um, uh, with the wholesale prices, uh, we have more or less understanding kind of with the IMF and uh, with other stakeholders. Uh, but in terms of retail prices, retail tariffs, including the distribution tariff, uh, it's still a problem that should be um, resolved. Naftagas itself has been through a lot of reforms, though, and all these price changes have been recently that it's gone from being a big debtor, uh, a drain on the the state budget, um, to being a highly profitable company. I think your profits were up uh, 68% last year to 36 billion grivna. Um, so the company is actually making money, um, although there's a debate now about uh, whether you're going to pay dividends. Uh, what, what do you ascribe this change in profitability of the company to, and are you going to pay dividends? 
so the major driver of our profitability was the change in our relationship with Gazprom. So before these changes, and these changes are directly connected to our new team that came to Naftagaz in 2014, so we changed it. Uh, before, on average, we were paying uh, four imported gas, paying to Gazprom, uh, uh, on average $5 billion more per year than we were getting for transit services that we provided to Gazprom. So basically $5 billion uh, were uh, transferred from Ukraine to Russia. After these changes, on average, we get uh, $600 million more from transit than we pay for all the imported gas from Europe. So you can see the difference. Mm -hmm. So from minus five to plus uh, uh, 0.6. And uh, that's why uh, Naftagas uh, managed to become uh, profitable. Uh, and uh, uh, that's the major driver of this change. And uh, you, you rightly pointed out that uh, we were considered like a black hole of Ukrainian state budget. At some point, uh, uh, our deficit uh, that was covered through the state budget was like 30 percent of the uh, of the whole uh, state budget, um, and now uh, we pay uh, roughly one sixth of the state budget uh, uh, revenues. So, like from 15 to 20 percent of all the budget revenues. Mm -hmm. uh, and by and speaking of the dividends, uh, we pay dividends. We pay dividends for 2016. We pay dividends for 2017. We pay dividends for 2018. Uh, um, and uh, we are going to pay uh, dividends uh, probably in 2019 as well. And uh, the dividend payout ratio is just, um, I would even say, insane. Because it's a capital-intensive industry, so we need to in, in invest, for example, in uh, increasing our production. But at the same time, the government uh, uh, imposes on us this uh, obligation to pay, uh, so now about 90% of our uh, profits as dividends to the state. So last year it was 70%. Um, and then, of course, uh, it is a problem for us uh, because... Um, uh, Profits, uh, they are like, uh, they are accrued profits, so they are accruals uh, in accounting terms. And you have to pay dividends with cash. And if you have some arrears or some non-payments from your customers, for example, these supply customers, uh, supply companies controlled by Mr. Firtish that buy gas from us and then uh, sell it to retail clients, they don't pay in full. And we have some arrears from them. And um, uh, that means that we have some cash constraints or Actually, we have a big cash problem, for example, this year, uh, because exactly of this on payments on one side, but obligations to pay dividends and taxes on the other side. Right. Um, and the, there's also an issue here with um, the Ukraine NAFTA tax bill, isn't there? Uh, there's been a long going uh, argument between um, yourself, the company, and the government as to getting rid of this debt, which is left over from the previous period where basically the company was, was raided by, by oligarchs and they built up a big tax bill. But I think the government's taken the line that they won't write the tax bill off. Can, can you elaborate on that story a little bit? Uh, yes, by the way, I'm a chairman of the supervisory board of Ukrnafta. Uh, I was appointed recently, so that's exactly kind of uh, my problem yeah. that I'm dealing with. Um, I should so say as well that, that yeah. Naftagas owns 51% of Ukrnafta. Yes, yes, well, majority shareholder. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, ours to, 
yeah, so it's our subsidiary basically uh, at the same time uh, about more than 40 percent uh, is owned by um, or is considered to be owned by uh, um, famous oligarch Mr. Kolomoisky. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the problem with stack debt uh, was created in, in 2015 uh, when uh, under the previous management of Ukrnafta, uh, Ukrnafta made some prepayments uh, but also delivered some uh, goods, basically oil, uh, without uh, payments uh, from uh, from some clients. And uh, the total problem at that time was 15 billion hryvna. Um, and basically, because uh, there was they had no cash to, uh, to pay uh, tax debt, uh, this, uh, to pay taxes, uh, the stack debt was created. So uh, with all the interest and fines. Although they're paying the uh, principal amount slowly but gradually, <coughs> uh, currently the tax debt uh, amounts to uh, roughly 30 billion hryvna, so slightly more than one billion dollars. Um, having said that, uh, we should also take into account that um, um, uh, Ukrnafta uh, produced gas that it delivered to Nafta Gas, its parent company. Then there was a dispute about the price at which uh, Ukrnafta had to sell this gas to Nafta Gas. Ukrnafta wanted to get a market price, uh, whereas Nafta Gas uh, was saying that uh, the government uh, demanded that this gas had to be sold uh, at a regulated price, uh, which at some point was like 15 times lower than the market price. Then Ukrnafta proved in courts, in Ukrainian courts, that this obligation was not relevant for uh, uh, Ukrnafta or for, for the gas produced by Ukrnafta. And that's why uh, Ukrnafta is entitled either to get their gas back or to be, ba- uh, to be paid at the market price. Um, so basically, uh, there are some uh, assets that uh, can uh, balance or actually outbalance uh, the liability uh, on the balance sheet of uh, Ukrnafta, if we, if we talk, for example, this liability, this tax debt liability. Um, then uh, the problem with uh, this uh, tax debt and this uh, um, prepayments and also some arrears for uh, oil uh, on the uh, side of Ukrnafta is that uh, although people claim that it was some kind of uh, Kolomoisky companies uh, that were involved uh, in this uh, situation or in this scheme, um, no law enforcement agency has ever proved it, although we appeal to them to investigate and uh, to find uh, basically some, somebody guilty or somebody responsible uh, for this uh, um, situation. So uh, to cut the long story short, uh, uh, now we have uh, uh, a big oil-producing company, Ukrnafta, uh, that on one hand uh, has this huge tax debt and uh, that basically limits its uh, potential uh, to produce more gas, uh, to produce more gas and more oil, first of all, because it's an uh, first of all oil producing company. Uh, they cannot attract foreign partners. Uh, they cannot invest in some kind of modernization of their retail network or their small refineries. So this problem has to be solved. On the other hand, they have this uh, uh, debt to them from Nafta Gas for the gas that they produced and uh, um, provided uh, to the system. So that's why uh, we found the solution when Nafta Gas will pay for this gas, 
that was delivered to the system, controlled by Naftagaz. Uh, and this money will be used to pay the tax debt. So we pay Ukrainafta, Ukrainafta pays uh, the state budget. The problem is that in order for Naftagaz to pay for this gas, we uh, needed to get this money from somewhere. And since we believe the government owes us uh, billions of dollars uh, as a compensation for imposed public service obligations, uh, we saw that it would be a good idea that the government uh, um, pays us, we pay Ukrainafta, Ukrainafta pays uh, the government, basically the state budget. It's a round trip for the government's money, um, and everybody is happy, basically, and Ukrainafta can uh, develop and to, can realize its potential. Um, we proved uh, these transactions on the side of Ukrainafta and on the side of uh, Naftagaz. It was also approved by an independent supervisory board of Naftagaz. And now it's being considered by the government uh, because at the last moment they stepped in and they said that it should be approved with them as well. So that's why uh, this very final stage, uh, we sent all the uh, contracts uh, for the approval. Uh, last question. Um, yeah. We've got a new president in Ukraine. Do you think there's going to be any change? And at the same time, it seems that the, the prime minister, I mean, we've still got six months to run before the, the, uh, mm. the parliamentary elections in October. Mm. But Groisman and your CEO, Andrei uh, Kobolev, have clashed. Uh, he's, Groisman's threatened to sack him. Are there, is there going to be a shake-up in the management in, uh, in Naftagas, or is it going to continue in the new administration as it's been going? So technically, first of all, we still have the, the old president. Uh, he's like a so-called lame duck because uh, the inauguration will take place only in one month. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it, it's important because basically it means that the old president and uh, the current prime minister, they are still in power. Um, second, there are some talks that uh, there should be some snap elections in the parliament. So maybe we'll have uh, elections earlier than uh, in, in six months. Or uh, maybe, again, uh, this new political reality will somehow affect the composition of the government at the moment. So we don't know. Um, uh, in regard um, um, to this clash between the prime minister and uh, the, the head of uh, the chairman of the executive board of Naftagas, or sometimes it's called uh, the CEO of Naftagas, Mr. Kobolev, um, uh, unfortunately, it's a reality. So the prime minister... Uh, in my memory, it's already the third time when he promised to sack uh, Mr. Kobolev. Um, um, and uh, last time he warned that it would be the kind of the last warning. Um, it's very difficult to predict uh, what will happen. Um, I mean, uh, currently, just uh, we accept this reality as it is, uh, um, not even anticipating some changes, but just understanding that some changes will be inevitable. It's just the problem where these changes will take place, at, at, at what level. Yuri, mm -hmm. thank you very much for taking the time. It sounds like you've got some real challenges ahead, but again, congratulations on the enormous progress that you've already made. All the best. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. All the best.